Brother George gave a superior platform for where I was going to go. I tell you what, it couldn't be better. Verse in Nehemiah 8, the last half sentence, according to the good hand of my God upon me. Is the good hand of God upon you? Is it? You may say, no, it's not. It's heavy. It's dark. It seems like everything's against me. Where is God? Well, I tell you what. My prayer is, through this, I want to show you through a different lens to have a different perspective of what the good hand of God is about. It may not seem like it, but looking back, reflecting back, yes, me, even though at the time. It was not, so I thought. So, I want to, yeah, I want to change your perspective on that. No matter what you're going through, no what valley you're going through, don't matter what hill you're going over, God is holding your future in, is holding your future and He knows what He's doing. So, I forgot to pick up a cup of water. I need a water boy to wet my whistle. Thank you. So, 50 years ago, I was born to, I was born, arrived on this earth to my first breath of air on September 9th, 1972, which I believe was a Friday. And, um, and I was born with a, thank you, sir. With a hereditary problem, and that is with cross eyes. You all haven't probably have noticed, wonder what's going on. I went through two eye surgeries at a very young age, one, two years old, where they go in, and they remove the muscle off the eyeball and re- and move it to another location. Try to pull the eye back into alignment. That's what they do. Well, I went through two of them, and the, well, it's they didn't get it. It's just life. And now I I I, I don't have three D vision. I don't have the depth of perception like you'll have. So, starting school at seven years old, my eye problem gave me trouble. I was not able to read line by line. I skipped. I failed a grade because of them. So that started into um, eye therapy. Try to train my eyes to work to work enough to be able to read line by line, 
even though my both eyes my I see they're, they're just not coronated. So that and that was kind of a pill for me because none of my else peers went to eye therapy to eye doctoring for eye therapy and you know that was kind of a pill. So so I went through all eight, I went through eighth grade because I started at seven. We got out at 16, so I was 16, 8th grade, audio school. I was done. Without a few luckins in between. Anyway, worked for an elder brother, working in the chair shop. And at age 19, I gave my heart to the Lord. I was 1991 because of the desert storm. I was drafting age, and they were talking about drafting, and I was scared. So... <coughs> I, so I surrendered my heart to the Lord, and my prayer was to God to mold me, shape me, fill me, to I be a useful instrumental tool in His hands to break me. As the customary thing was in the church that we we're going to, we go through the 18 articles of confession of faith, and then we, and then who is applying for church membership or becoming a member or is put through the council room, your name is brought before the church, and whether you're accepted or not. And my name had a reservation, Carl Schaum. There's a reservation on Carl Schaum. Oh, what's that? How would that make you feel? Sitting in church, have that announced. Didn't have to wait long. Had a meeting with the ministry. And they had a a list of things. Was had of concerns about me. How do you think that made me feel? How would that make you feel? I felt rejected. I felt dejected. I felt I wasn't worthy. Very painful. Young man, 19 years old. Going out to the senior said, I cry because my, my brain boiling. In one turmoil, it been milk, it been a milkshake and a heartbeat. It was just churning. My mom, she soon found me. And her, her words were, Carl, what are you going to do? You can accept this as a stumbling block or as a, or a stepping stone. Because we don't know what your future holds. We can't see in the future. Was she right? Yeah. She's dead on right. So, after that upheaval, you know, battle around, it's like, this church don't got it. 
I'm going somewhere else. So I quit going to that church, church A, I'll classify it, and I went to church B. Six miles north of us, and in those two years, I went to Bible school and see more. Bethel Bible School. And when the evangelist comes, we have meetings with evangelists, and I ask him, I gave him a short, brief story of what happened, and he said, he would recommend that you go back. Ugh. Ain't happening. No way. I wasn't ready to face the music again. No way. No way. Went back the next year. Different fella, different evangelist. I asked him. I told him the same story. Guess what? He had the very same answer. Ooh. I was smart enough to figure out something coming around twice. Ooh, you better uh, take a look. Well, the closing program was like on Friday night, so went north. So for the weekend, went north three-hour drive and spent time with friends there, and then went home. So it was the following Sunday. Guess where I was at? I was back at Church A. I ate a slab of hummel pie and went back to church A. That's what I did. So, and thus, we tried again. And the ministry had private meetings with me, and they did not go well. We had chaos. I challenged them. Their answers did not make no sense. And we, yeah, we were back and forth, and it was not good. It was not good. I so I, some of us I, I said what I thought I, said, I just said it the way it was and well that did not go well well the time finally but slowly but surely I, I yielded to all the requests and I finally became Good enough to to become a member of the church there, but it didn't stop there. They were continually hounding about this and about that. And it's like, Mom, what's going on? They're forever. I can't. I I can't live this life good enough for them. Because they're always griping about something. It's like, well, you got to make sure your doorstep is, well, dear me, as far as I know, it is clean. But they want it cleaner, cleaner than I can make it. And then... 
I did something that really agitated the problem. I wasn't fully aware how agitated it would. I agitated it. <laughs> I drove this dually pickup, and back there we have salt, and I got tired of painting the rims because salt is rough on vehicles. It's rust. So you know what? I'm going to buy some wheel simulators. Chrome. Ooh. And forget this business. This pain thing. Well, you about can guess what happened. I got a bit visit because of those things. Told them I need to take them off because they ain't not good. I said, well, pastor... Aren't you siding your house? Why don't you just paint your house? Oh, well, that did not fly. You know, uh, as a as a nineteen year old, I mean, what, what's the difference? I, I was putting like vinyl siding on my wheels, and he was, you know, I was covering them up just like he was covering his house. Didn't make no logical sense to a nineteen year old. And I refused to take them off. Because in my logical mind, it didn't make no sense. It did not make no sense what was going on. Of of their request, it told me that I could live on a castle in a hilltop, all manicured and everything. But as soon as I touched a vehicle, that was dead wrong. But yet I was told if I bought a vehicle like that, it would be okay. Now, that, add that to the whole confusion already. It's like, this is not making no sense. What's going on? All fr- through all this old frustration and stuff wasn't making no sense. Giving not good answers for a 19-year-old. They might have worked for a 5-year-old but not for a 19-year-old. What do you do? What would you have done? Well, because of... because my refusal of taking them off, they held me back from communion one time. And we had a hot meeting. I said, you know what? I'm withdrawing my membership. I'm done. And the bishop, he was ready to honor it, but the others were not. So, so this chaos continued. And my brother Glenn, he was dating a girl from out here. He went to see her in Christmas. Said, I need to get out, look for a job, see what's available. He came back. There's a man that needs two men for his shop, a J&J truck and tire. Count me in. I, I need some fresh air. As we were uh, fixing to go, we were in the bedroom. 
my, uh, my mom, she comes up. And I told her, I'm headed with this Christian life. It's not working. There's no use living this Christian life. It just is, it, it's all full of frustration and empties. What, what's the point of this? I made all better off before I was Christian than after Christian. What, what's the point? I'm done. Guess what she did? She clocked around on her heels and left. I knew what she was going to do. She went to pray. My poor mom, she probably, she probably had it as just as hard or harder than what I had it. She spent many, many countless nights praying on my behalf. Sleepless nights. Struggling to survive this Christian life or this so-called Christian life. And so... Glenn, <clears throat> Glenn was moving out here, so we hitched up a U-Haul trailer behind my truck, and we were headed west. Three hours in the journey, we had green water on the windshield. Whoops, we got engine problems, antifreeze. We sat along the Ohio Turnpike for six hours till Frank came out, and we swapped trucks with his pickup, and we continued on our way. Got to the Ohio-Indiana border. Where's your ticket? We both looked at each other. Oh, we forgot to trade the Ohio toll ticket along with the truck. We don't have no toll ticket. Sorry, we don't have it. We said, well, we have to charge you full fare. Well, that's okay because we basically about traveled the whole way anyway. So we have to pay full fare. And to this day, I still have the Ohio toll ticket. It happened that day. I still have it. Because that is some something... You do, you just don't have. You always turn it back in at the other end. So I feel privileged to have one. <laughs> the rest of the trip went great. Now, all that back in Ohio, I now I'm in a land of a strange, now I was a man in a strange land. Yes, knew some people, acquaintance from Bible school. And now, you know, away from that, now, you know, as a man, we can think, get away from it, think about life. And also, might talk about paths crossing. God put people in my life. I saw what I call renegade Mennonites. The choices that they made was not good. And so, like, well, I don't want that. And also, they're at the truck shop talking, I mean, the trucker life and the way they talked. Well, I don't want that. 
I don't want that kind of life. Because in my mind, I was thinking about moving to Oregon and just throw this old Christian life out the door. Fooey. Bye-bye. But that never happened. Because I feel it was because my mom prayed for me. And also, the keeping power of God. He, he, when he's started going to good work in you, he's going to finish it, as the Bible tells us. Well, then, being that people were out of my life, you know, the good Lord, eh, no problem. Then he brings circumstances into life to continue to mold me, to shake me, to chip, chip away at me, slowly but surely. Like we had a slight accident out there and out beyond Sweet Home with a friend's pickup, going around, I was driving, going way too fast around a corner, you know, way too tight. That's one way, and another incident was I felt very heavily burdened to ask this girl, it's like, what the world? But I could not shake it. I could not get rid of it. Oh. So, I asked her, of course, the answer was no, another rejection. You know, but then I started saying, what am I doing with life? What, 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 what is going on here? I mean, yeah, what, what, why am I here? What is going on? Just try to grasp for questioning myself. What in my Christian life? What what am I doing anyway? So so it it caused me to think. And incidents like that, you know, and um, and then in. I think it was January of 99. Larry Warfel got a group together, a group of youth, to go down into Mexico, down down in Chihuahua area. And what a trip. I thoroughly enjoyed that trip. That gave me a vision for VS work, voluntary service. You know, back from that trip, I started to get a phone call from the church back east. Hey, it's been three years since you left us. What are we going to do with the membership? Oh, no, not this. I wasn't ready. I was still in a stew. I didn't know what to do. Now what? Talk with my mom. Now what? Had, had lunch with Myron Hosteller and Daryl Hosteller. He got his big book of pictures out about Faith Mission Home. That was my first big introduction to Faith Mission Home. Oh, I'm sorry. I got ahead of myself. Oh, no. Yes, I did. I'm sorry. I don't have no notes. I'm just winging this thing. You know, that summer, sorry, back up. In the the summer that I moved out here, that fall, 
Now fall, I went back to Ohio. But my mom, she, in the course of conversation, she told me to, she think I'll apologize to my ministry. It's like, oh, it ain't happening. I, so yeah, that fall, I went back because I wanted to fix my truck. I wanted to drive it out here. And so, I went back, we had a, had a meeting with the bishop, and guess what I did? I apologized to him. So sorry the way I acted. I could not believe the response, the response I got. He about danced a jig. It's like, whoa. So, sort of got things patched up. Wrenching on my truck. And I, we had to take the heads off, had to take the heads off of it. Took it to the local machine shop. And this machinist, he starts talking about, I put an aftermarket turbo kit on it, and he starts talking. And he says, you know, sometimes when these turbos over, over boost why they lift the heads off. Now I'm going to get mechanical here. They lift the heads off and you break the head gasket seal. Hmm. So he highly advised me to get a boost gauge to see what the turbocharger is doing. Now this was the early days of wastegated turbos. This is, it was new technology back then. So I listened to his advice. I put one on, I took the truck for a test drive, and guess what? The needle went, oops, too much boost, what it was supposed to be. I called the dealer up and told him what's going on. He contacted Banks Power, said, we need your old turbo to test it, and then we'll ship you a new one. I told her, I can't do that. I'm scheduled to leave as soon as I'm meeting a friend in Indiana. I cannot do that. I mean, I got to have this turbo sooner. Is there anything possible? Banks Power and their good graces, they said, yes, we can do that. We'll ship you a new one because we do have a problem with it. They recognize we do have a problem with them sticking shut, and we will ship you a new one. In a matter of a short time, I had a new one. Put one on there, test drove it, fine. It was all good. Again, I was pulling a U-Haul trailer by myself, and Glenn and some of the Amish stuff wasn't ready for him when he moved out. So I went out to Holmes County, picked some of that stuff up, and pulling a U-Haul trailer. And... And I borrowed a friend's cell phone. They had cell phones way back then. But very expensive to talk. 30 cents a minute, and if you were in Rome, it was like over a dollar a minute, something like that. You got charged by the minute, in and out both. Incoming, outgoing calls. So, with this engine problem on my mind, and with a turbo problem, 
all supposed to be fixed. You know, driving all by myself. Yes, I had this cell phone, but I was under stress. No, now today we call anxiety. Driving and driving to Indiana, meeting a friend there. You know, would sprinkle a little bit, and my heart would. Oh, is that green water? Oh no, it's not. It's just it's just sprinkling. You know, just just on edge, adrenaline, just on edge. <coughs> Met this friend in Indiana. Spent the night there, and then he says, "Well, I'm not planning to leave till about seven, eight o'clock tonight." What? So we. So we put a CB in my truck so we can converse. And um, he put some of his, and he put some of his belonging. He was sort of more moving out with me, so he put more stuff in the U-Haul trailer. And when he ready to go, he clipped on a padlock and took the key with him. And he asked, "Well, how fast can you drive?" My truck governs out at 75, but with a load, you'll best at 70. I could tell that was not good news for him. He wanted to drive fast. He wanted to drive like 85, 90. He wanted to drive fast. I said, can't do it. So we left. I was in the lead. He fallen and he was all fully aware the truck had a problem before and now we just got to fix and it's never a good idea to take a vehicle on a trip right after it comes out of a mechanic shop because mechanics are not perfect people. Not a good thing. It's good to drive them around a while to make sure everything's okay. I didn't have that opportunity. So, we left at 7, 8 o'clock that evening and we drove through the night. At one point, I told him, hey, man, I think I'm getting sleepy. So we pulled off half hour, 45 minutes. Sleep, yeah, right. I was so full of adrenaline because of this truck issue. I was so wound up so tight. Ain't happening. He raised, hey, can we go? He said, yes, we'll roll. So we... Rolls on, and by morning we were in eastern part of Nebraska on I-80. We pulled off for I don't know what reason, and there was, it was like a convenience store and like a McDonald's off to our left. And he said, "Hey, I'm going over here to to the McDonald's and get a bite to eat." Sure, okay, I'll wait on you. I waited, and I waited, and I waited, and I waited. So, hmm, where did he go to? Well, let's go and find out. So, so I pull, go, goes around the McDonald's. No black pickup with a motorcycle on the back of it. Hmm. I said, why? I must have, I thought I was seeing things. I cannot believe. Where is this black <coughs> His black truck was at. I made the second lap around it, looked again. This is early morning. There isn't a lot of cars parked around. I still could not believe what I see. I, I think it went around three times. I could not believe. 
His pick was absolutely nowhere around. Well, there's not much to do. I was basically in the middle of the U.S. It was far as either way, you know. Well, let's continue going on west. And that's what I did. Continued on heading west. As I said before, I was one wreck of nerves. Now, I was all by myself. And, uh, and all this was boiling inside of me. He left me because he wanted to drive fast and on and on and on, you know. All this came back to play. And so, oh, he has the key for the padlock. And everything's in there. All my clothes, all my tools, everything. Now what? And that just accelerated more yet. I was in the middle of the U.S. I have a tra- trailer. It's all locked up. Everything I own is all locked up. And he has the key. Now what? I was over the top already. I was double over the top. That was one trail. Driving along, stressing to behold. Middle Wyoming somewhere. I feel there's somebody around here. It looks like also a presence, a holy presence. Fill the cab. I looked around. Well, I don't see anybody around. But I definitely felt somebody. Somebody was close. For for a minute or two, and then it was gone. Guess what happened? When that presence came, it brought peace. And when it left, it took all my stress, all my anxiety out the door. You know, I... I it just... That defining moment, that was a defining moment. It just changed the whole trip right there. You know, I could drive. Come along. It just, it just, just kind of like relaxed me. And somewhere between, I don't know why we took this sorry old, there's some road, some cut off between 80 and 84. You remember what road that was? I went and looked on the map. I could not for a second find out. It was curvy in the mountains, and in the mountains, cell phone rings. Why is this thing ringing for in the middle of the mountains here? This is old technology. This is way back, early stages of cell phones. Hello? Hey, are you okay? Oh, I could tell somebody was a little concerned. Yeah, I'm doing fine. I'm on this so and so road. Oh, everything's going fine. So, this is my brother Glenn calling. And um, continued on my journey. That's my eyes like, what's wrong with my eyes? They feel like gravel in them, thick sand. What? That's like, I remember reading, if you're so tired, your, your eyes will feel like they've got sand in them. So I kind of try to get rid of all the sand in my eyes. 
I drove all the way to Potatala, Idaho. I found a motel. It's like, I'm done. I'm not moving another inch. Whatever the motel charges me, I didn't, I didn't care. $90, who cares? I tell you, I was so exhausted. I was so beat out. I think I've crashed even before I hit that pillow. I was out. Seven o'clock morning, I was bright on bush until I, I think those clerks last night, I think they thought I was half drunk. I'm sure my eyes were so bloodshot and so I looked, I looked like a train wreck. So, continuing on my journey, and we, and I am in, I think, Ontario, I think I fueled up there or something, because I knew Highway 20 was a desolate road, and I fueled full. I tried using that cell phone again. I tried three times. I could not get that thing to work. I just kept getting error messages and so well fooly with that thing. So I came all the way. So the rest of the trip was uneventful. Good roads, just wet. So come across the mountain passes. This is getting end of October. I wasn't really aware how these mountain passes were, but yes, Lord granted me good traveling the whole way across the Rockies and so I arrived back here with truck and trailer, everything on one piece, all safe and sound. I stopped in at the truck shop. So we had to make which my friend here he arrived here about half a day earlier or so. Than I did, and so we had to make contact, trying to find where this guy was at, so he could get my goodies out of the back of this trailer and his goodies out of the back of this trailer because he had the key. So that's so he came and then he shares his side of the story. He said when he pulled around that McDonald's back in Nebraska, he looked over where I was sitting. No truck, no trailer. He said, "Oh." He must have left. So, so he gets on I-80 West and hammer down fast trying to catch up to me. <laughs> he gets on the CB to truckers, to other truckers like coming on down on the other side. Hey, have you saw a black truck with a pulling you haul and on and on? Nope, it always came back negative. He's on the CB hollering at me and trying to, trying his best to try and find where I was at. And my CB never sputtered a thing. Silence. And once he was far enough down the road, it kind of dawned on him. He said, you know what? I think he is behind me. But he was so far gone, he said, well, forget this. So he just jolly went on his way. And the cell phone thing... Well, then he calls my brother Glenn up and said, Hey, I don't know where this guy is at. I don't know what's going on with him. I mean, a lot got separated in Nebraska. I don't know what's going on. 
He was all worried. I know he has a cell phone, but I have no no idea what phone number that thing is. Well, he don't know either. Well, he'll have to call back East and find out. So he called my folks up. Well, they, uh, they knew I had a cell phone, but they don't know what the number is either. So we'll have to call the fellow they borrowed it from. <laughs> what a chain effect, but it is what it is. To finally, Glenn was able to make the phone call because we weren't anticipating this happening. So, so that was what all happened behind the scenes, which I was blissfully driving along. All this was going on behind the scenes. So that was the, my journey. So like I say, 99, we did that Mexico trip, gave Shawnee and Martin Hosteller first introduction to in the church again, wondering what's going on, what should I do? And I, so I called, got acquired the numbers from somewhere and called Faith Mission Home and said, I'd like to come and volunteer. Which I found out later that is a very strange thing to do. They call you. Here, somebody was calling them. Because they're always trying to recruit people come and work for, come and work there at that place. Well, so I said, well, yeah, we would have an opening on, um, in November. We would have an opening for you to come. And they wondered if I'd be open to the possibility of being the maintenance man. So, yeah, I can do that. So when my ministry called me back up, what I'm going to do and why isn't the wherefore, I said, well, I'm planning to go to Faith Mission Home for a term of service. So, well, if you're going to do that, you need to come back to Ohio for six months. Oh no! Before we, yeah, we we want you to live around here in Ohio for six months before you go. He said, and of course, do some quick calculations. November, I've got to back up. Oh man, I gotta be out of here by May. Oh wow, that's pretty soon. I'm gonna have to get out of here. Six months, six months. You know, I, you know, I I think I could, I think I can do it for six months. Just hang in there. So, that's what I did. I packed up, and basically was about, about dead on three, first, first part of May, me and my nephew, I think that was when that, Glenn, that was when Titus, he wrote back with me, I think. That was that time he wrote, he wrote back with me. He wrote back with me. He was too young to drive. So I still had to do all the driving. And we drove back across the country. Same old truck. Never missed the beat. Pulling another U-Haul trailer. I think it was a flatbed, so I 
I was, I think I was still hauling some other goods back there too as well, but anyway. Now it's back in Ohio. Again, working my eldest brother's chair shop. The bishop, he worked there too. And in those six months, and in those, in, in those six months, I got visited three times about something. But this time, uh, by then I learned a few things in life. Uh, I told him, thank you for sharing what you did. Because I sensed behind it all, somebody was pushing him behind. So I was, so I just thanked him and life went on. But still that, it just, it just ground on me. It was the same old saga over and over again. And as those months went month by month, hold on, I could feel myself spiraling downhill. I was not doing good again. So this is not working. I gotta get out of this place. And then Faith Mission calls up, hey, we rescheduled your date, your date won't be till January 5 or 6 or something, but it was the very first weekend of, of 2000. It's all grown. That pushed me out about six weeks over what they previously had said. How in the world am I going to survive now? It seemed like a short time, but... What do I do now? The fear of man, my walls were built so thick and so high, it was un- unbelievable. Just in my little shell, you know, being visited again, it's like, this place ain't for me. I came also to the conclusion, once a black sheep, always a black sheep. No matter how hard you try, it won't be good enough. We made it. But when I arrived at Faith Mish Home, I was a train wreck. And being that I was supposed to be the future man's man and the man's man's was gone on a trip. Now what? And, and the schedule was all over the map. I didn't know what was going on from one day to the next. It's like, wow, it was like all over again. I was sick. Where stuff runs out faster than you can pour in. Ah, oh, man, this doesn't feel good. It's like, oh. Man, just everything. What the world? This is all over again. It's like one year of this place, I'm out of here. This is all over again. What in the world? What did a world did I get myself into anyway? The man came back 
Well, he was sort of building a ground man as well. He was fulfilling two roles at the present. So he was stretched kind of thin. He comes back and he shows me the few of the essentials, like water testing, a few of the essentials. And guess what he did? We were standing there in the entry, and he said, Okay, Carl, it's all yours now. He handed over the, the two-way radio and said, It's all yours. Wait a minute, what? He gave me a 15-minute brief and walked out the door and walked out and packed up his, packing up his goods to, to head out to Montana. And if you knew what Faith Mission Home is like, the main home, and you have all these different cottages. This is a magnitude of places. All of a sudden, I didn't know nobody yet. I didn't hardly know anybody. I didn't even know the place. And now I got to dump in a role as a main supply. And the place was falling apart because he was playing two roles. And he only fixed whenever a wheel squeaked. I stood there and just totally overwhelmed. So what the world... They were, they were stringing back up electrical power to all the different cottages and the, they just put in the wires. The whole project was just lay there. You've got to be kidding. And on top of that, I found out my office right beside the bishop. And you know what through my mind, right? Add, add that all to the scenario yet. Again, I was going over the top. Oh no, what the world? I just sit there just staggered. This can't be. Now I was really wondering what I got myself into. It's like this guy's nasty. But but I found out men in authority can hold your best interests at stake. I continue to watch these men of authority, the director and the assistant administrator who I mostly worked with. I watched them. I watched them carefully. Because of of my past experience with men and authority in that position, I watched them. You know, as time progressed, my walls came down. The walls got thinner. And it took me about a year. Nine months to... My walls basically were down... I found out the bishop to be a very nice, genuine man. He's not here no more. But I have high respect for that man. Very, very nice man. He changed my perspective 
of what authority can be. And my one year at Faith Mission Home turned into three and a half years. What happened? And my time there, God poured a lot, a lot of healing into my life. It changed me a lot. Even though I was dumped into the role as a maintenance man, the director and the um, the mechanic there, those men, they were angels. They helped me over and over again how to navigate this huge place. And a lot of the stuff was buried underground. When you dug in, well, this one guy, he, he knew the place like a bank. So when he dug, we needed to get him around to okay, what's all underneath the ground here because everything's buried. So, so I had to work with three, four different people to make when something needed to happen. I worked and work with them side by side. I worked with them side by side. And these were genuine men, godly men. I highly respect them. Shall I continue on? Shall I quit and make a part two? You know what? I'm thinking. I think I'll leave you hang there, just like I was love hang. <laughs> so, I still want to leave with you this verse in Nehemiah. According to the good hand of my God upon me. Did it sound like the good hand of God was upon me? I will leave you with that. Thank you. Carl, thank you very much for sharing that that uh, that portion of your story. Um, I don't know what stood out to the rest of you. Feel free if you have something you'd like to share or... Uh, comment on raise your hand we'll get you a mic so you can share it and others can hear it um i know what stood out to me just that there was a number of instances in carl's life that he brought up you know where he he had to do something he used the word i had to eat a big slice of humble pie and uh, you know sometimes life is like that maybe maybe i should say all the time life is like that that's what god is calling us to do with various circumstances that come into our life. And when we do, what changes? God moves. He resists the proud, gives grace to the humble. So thank you very much for that uh, over and over again illustration of what can happen. Anybody else have something you'd like to share? Raise your hand up. We'll get you a mic if you'd like to share anything here before we close.